I would like to complain briefly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. My mother, Andrew's grandma, uh, sitting on her deck one day this week, said, "I feel like there's something I need to say, uh, and I'm I am I'm going to say it, even though I said that I wouldn't, and mm-hmm. that always alarms me." And then she said, "It's something Andrew told me." Uh oh. And I what said, "If Andrew do? told you not to tell, then don't tell." It would make me really uncomfortable. And she said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell, but it's not really telling. And she said, he told me how the book ends. Oh. <laughs> I did. I did. So that was really annoying. <laughs> and she was really gleeful. She was very gleeful about it. <laughs> and and I might say smug, maybe smug that, is that the was word. my real hundredth oh. birthday present to her. Was I told her how infinite jest ends? <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, That's a spoiler in and I, of itself. Can I say, that says it ends somehow. Can I, can I say something though? Can I say yeah, something? Yeah. She guessed how it ended. Oh, oh, oh wow! <laughs> That's, That's amazing. <laughs> That's even worse. I think it's better. Hello and welcome to good-looking people in small, clever rooms that utilize every centimeter of available space with mind-boggling efficiency. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Brianna. Greetings. Our week 11 reading is dominated by a long phone call, so it seems somehow fitting, even thematically appropriate, that we, as always, meet up with our friends to discuss it telephonically. Uh, We're joined by my mom, Norma. Hello. And by our friend, Vinny. Hello there. Mom, you seem to be, you have some sort of like infinite jest clairvoyance because it feels like whatever, you you have some comment usually the previous week and then that winds up being the theme for the next week's reading. So I was just editing last week's podcast and you were talking a lot about how Oren must know so many things about stuff going on in the family and he must be burdened with all of this kind of half secret knowledge. Um, And that's like mostly what this reading That's is about. True, it's dominated by this one long phone call between Oren and Hal. Mm-hmm. Right. What I was pleasantly surprised by was that it's a phone call between Oren and Hal where they actually seem to be able to connect and communicate with each other. Right. Yeah, I mean... Like they're it, asking and answering questions. Right. They're sometimes even listening to each other. Sometimes, sometimes yes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. not. Sometimes. <laughs> I'm the date police. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm the date police. And I just wanted to point out that this is like two days before Joelle's OD suicide attempt mm. or actual mm. suicide. Just oh, that, yeah, that changes my, my read of it a little bit. Cause I think by default, I assume that it's all happening in chronological order. And then I know and then I come here and talk about it and remember that everything is all jumbled up. It's all a mess. Mm-hmm. Right. And when was the big drug thing happening? When did uh, Pemulus get the the He gets drug? he was runs his shifty November? errand. 
on November 4th. Oh, so yeah. it was the day after that. So mm-hmm. this happens the day after that. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot a lot more detail in here about the circumstances of himself's of, of uh, James O's death and uh, kind of the timeline around that. I mean, even before we hear, before they get into that, uh, we have another reference to mom's obsessive cleaning that she does, which I think mm-hmm. Joelle referred to, right? Joelle refers to that she, that she became an obsessive cleaner, just like the wife and Oh, I mother. missed that. And yeah. that, and that uh, Oren and Hal are slobs. Uh, mm-hmm. Mario Mario always makes his bed, <laughs> but the, the the other guys are slobs compared to their mothers. But they refer to their mothers like obsessive cleaning stuff. And also, just as a as a smile producer, was that their phone the phone has an antenna. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. Made me remember the cordless phones. Yeah. Yeah. They had to pull the antenna out. Or maybe mm-hmm. a cell phone. Was it a cell phone? Uh, both. I think it was so used to have yeah, both. Yeah. Retractable so antennas. Yeah. Also, the start of the, the whole toenail clipping thing and how going on and on about that, it brings up this theme that kind of runs through the whole book, too. That whole idea of uh, the, the sort of winning streak idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, hmm. He says that. The fragile magic spell feel of those intervals where it feels you just can't miss. Yeah. And and that leads to all kinds of superstitious sort of good luck rituals and another good word, apotropaic. Apotropaic. Yeah, yeah. And warding off evil. Look that up. Yep, intended to ward off evil. Like the like the Pennsylvania Dutch hex sign on the barn. They talk about they reference the apotropaic uh, barns, signs on I'm barns. Not, I'm not familiar with this. Pennsylvania Dutch hex signs? The Pennsylvania signs? Dutch more. hex signs. Oh, well, in, in at least Amish farms in Pennsylvania often have these. They're, they're called hex signs. They're round, uh, kind of geometric, different kinds of pattern, a round pattern that are these like put on the on the barn and it's like to ward off are these like barn quilts barn quilts it looks like it um I, th- here. I think of when i think of barn like designs on amish barns i think of like quilt patterns painted on barns but i always oh. assumed that those were just purely decorative no. yeah it yeah, so they uh, look a lot more quilted than I would assume something like a hex sign would look like. Of. And maybe those are not the like the traditional. Oh. Maybe there's an older version. These look pretty uh complex and I think Yeah. I think that that's um, not necessarily what they used to look like. Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, I, I've never heard of that before. Yeah. And it's even Andrew's heritage. How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> so they're, I mean, they're kind of facetiously talking about this stuff 
as it relates to Hal's winning streak of landing toenail right. clippings just, in right, the, right. the wastebasket halfway across the room. <laughs> right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is uh, uh, equal parts disgusting and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Right. And also a very, like, it seems like a very clever rhetorical device by Hal in this conversation, the way he keeps kind of returning to that um, as right. a way to redirect the conversation away from things that he doesn't right. really want to talk about. Right. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, we found out that post the dead bird falling in the jacuzzi, um, the wheelchair assassin falling. Yeah. 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 So he's being followed by, presumably by the AFR. Mm-hmm. Um, which also makes sense because we have also now established that he is doing an interview with uh, Helen Steeply and that right. she's in in Phoenix or in Scottsdale area. Right. Um, more more family dynamics. Uh, Hal, yeah. Hal is wondering about, you know, why what calling, you know, this phone call, wondering about the phone call. And he describes himself as the estranged little brother. And mm-hmm. Oren, Oren refers to Hal as the one non-bats family member. That's what he called mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Like I, the one that's okay. not crazy. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, re- I read it as that, that Oren is estranged from all of them and that Hal is like the one person right. that he can stomach talking to on a regular basis. Well, yeah. but, it comes up, but it comes up that Hal didn't hear from him for two years. Right. Right. This is true. So, and he didn't he didn't go to James O's funeral right, and Hal's kind right. of needling him about that or not kind of is, is very overtly and repeatedly needling him about <laughs> yeah, that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. He won't let him let he won't let go of that. Um, one other little detail that that uh, in an earlier uh, podcast, I mentioned that Moment Magazine is a real thing that's like uh, in our world seems to be. um uh, primarily interested in news about the Jewish American community in uh, particularly on the East Coast. Um, it's clear now that uh, the the Moment magazine in this world is very different. It's mo- much more like People magazine. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I'm not sure whether it seems odd to imagine that it's just a co- the name is just a coincidence because the real Moment magazine is based out of Boston, I think. Um, And also predates Infinite Jest. Oh, by, yeah, by decades and decades. Um, uh, So So I don't know. So a long-established, a long-established magazine. Yes. Yeah. Um, Um, Would this be a magazine that uh, David Foster Wallace would be aware of? I mean, I don't, I don't have any reason to believe that he would be, but I don't know if he was doing research, he might have found it. It's a good mm. title. I can see why he chose the title. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. The other thing that I, you know, I've, I've been critical of Steeply's uh, undercover work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and his tacky uh, disguise that I thought was, you know, bad, a bad mm-hmm. disguise. But apparently <laughs> it's very convincing. Yeah. When we read this uh, part. I mean... Other other the, players on the team find Helen quite attractive in sort of yes. an odd, uh, an unusually yes. compelling way. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, which brings me back to the idea that a lot of how we approach uh, Helen and her disguise and everything is kind of dependent on who's 
kind of our point of view character that when we're yeah. looking at it from oh, Marat's point of view, that's when we kind of get that it's tacky and disgusting and right. things like yeah, that. Yeah, because because and, that's and what Marat thinks of steeply. And just and just that he doesn't wear it well, I think. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, from Marat's point of view, he just doesn't wear it well. I do have a question about semantics here because I suspect that we're going to get more from Helen Steeply, um, uh, and and maybe our, our our approach will need to change as the reading continues. What what pronouns are we using to refer to Helen Steeply? Is that's a it, good question? Because yeah. I, I ask that because I think it hinges on whether. Dirk steeply sees Helen as just a cover identity that he adopts for his job or whether he feels like he is Helen. Uh, and, and like Helen is actually a fully formed person. Yeah. And. I know I'm. Hmm. I know I'm inclined to refer to Helen using she, her pronouns. Me too. Mm-hmm. When yeah. me too. We're, when in the narrative, it's being indicated <clears throat> that we're talking about Helen steeply. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. But not so much, like not so much though when, when Marat and Helen are talking, because then it's... Then the Helen, right. the Helen persona seems like such a disguise at that point. Yeah, but but well, I, I also agree get with the you sense in that in that conversation with Marat, I get the sense that he's maybe dressed as Helen, but he's not speaking right. as Helen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, that I I think I'm I'm not sure that I I, I I'm intrigued and also kind I kind of dread where this is going because I'm not sure that I trust David Foster Wallace in 1995 <laughs> to be the person to like explicate this particularly complex gender identity but I I hope that we get some of that complexity like I would I would feel better about the character of Helen Steeply if if it's revealed that it does seem to be like a genuine expression of Dirk's sort of inner self rather than just a, a, a disguise a that he, he wears. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I would feel a lot better about it. You know, we spoke before about the dual 1990s representations of uh, trans identity being yeah. either Twin Peaks representation or Friends representation. And um, I would much rather us err on the side of Twin Peaks. Yes, for sure. Agreed. Um, so I guess only time <laughs> time will only tell time whether will that tell. bears through. Um, and what's I mean? We also I I certainly was wondering. So what what is what's steeply out to get? Because initially, Oren thought that the interview was going to be about him. Right. And his sort of how he got to the point in his career where he had, like personal interest, just stuff about him. But mm-hmm. he like almost right away has figured out that Steeply is pumping him for information about the Incandenza clan. Yeah. Right. And, well, I think and not really. uh not really that interested in Oren as Oren, 
but interested right. in Oren as an informant on the incandenses. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of. Well, I took it to be that, you know, Steeply is basically trying to pump for information about Avril. Oh. Because, uh, um, Avril? Avril? Yeah. 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 Yeah, because, uh, you know, I think uh, Steeply is still operating under the assumption that Avril has something to do with the Quebecois separatist movements. Okay. I could see that. I mean, I I, it certainly too. seems like the family, it, like, there are a couple people in the family that th- the governments of Onan and, and like Quebec might have might be interested in i think that it's all about james o like i i think that dirk is there doing like gathering intelligence on the entertainment trying to figure mm. out what what infinite jest for is and and whether it is what the rumor whether the rumors are true or not whether there is an ant like an antidote film um because it seems like there are a lot of rumors circulating and nobody knows anything for sure and I do also think that probably Dirk has made the same judgment that we have that like Oren as sort of a quasi outsider, but also uh, being raised in this family probably knows a lot and might even know more than he realizes he knows. Um, and and so he's he's like sort of a prime target for gathering more information about this bizarre secretive family Mm -hmm. i was disappointed that that uh hal hal made a lot of really derogatory comments about people who live in trailers he did trailer trash idea which was kind of disappointing to me it was i mean i think that it pr- it it sounded more like or is he just making fun of his brother but I, mean, I think that's part of it but i do also think it's genuine curiosity on his part like th- it seems like it's almost like he's asking questions about an exotic country that he's never been to hmm. which also i mean that's also is, is also not great like but, cultural right. tourism yeah mm-hmm. and is a little classist. <laughs> yes, yeah. for sure. Yes, very. Um, I haven't really also, thought about. I, I haven't really thought about Hal in that way. I thought of Hal as being more. Uh, I mean, I, I think it would be it would be tough to grow up as a student at like a star student at an elite tennis academy operated by your parents and and not be kind of steeped in just sort of inherent systemic classism. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, it's definitely there. I'm not sure how much I can begrudge him for that. I, I hope that he find, finds ways to uh, um, set those feelings aside. Well, I think it's partially just get growing up and getting to know the world more. Right. Because yeah. as yeah. we're thinking about him as a 17-year-old, this right. isn't really unusual for yeah. a 17-year-old. Yeah, right. there's so much more of the world that he's going to see in the future. Right. And if, yeah. he's, if he lives... He does seem more... Sorry, 
<laughs> he does seem more mature than your average 17 year old, but mm-hmm. there are some places where the average 17 year old can come out. Yeah. And I think in interpersonal relationships and uh, things that you might think that you're naturally good at mm-hmm. uh, are perhaps where that comes out. Yeah. Oh, hello. Was was that Did you creature? hear Atlee? Did you hear <laughs> Atlee? Yes. Yeah, we did. Atlee, they heard you. You have more to say? No. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. little one. Oh, there voice from, the little voice from the <laughs> kitchen. I have something to say. The cartoon There's voice. A... Uh, there's a character named Corbett mentioned yes, in, in this week's well, reading. Yes, there was. The prefect, right? Yeah. He was supposed to make sure they uh, clean their rooms. and uh, Pro-rector. Excuse yeah. me. Pro-rector is supposed to make sure they clean their rooms, but he doesn't really. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's another thing I wrote down <laughs> in reading. I can't even find it now. The sated ghost cannot see secret things. Or yes. Ooh, yeah. Felt, I wrote, that felt I, important, too. Uh, yeah, for sure. Where is that? It's I found okay, I found it. It's on two forty four. It's when they're talking about the is it the Ots? The Vancouver the native Vancouver uh, yes. oh, yeah. tribe yeah. that they fill up their ancestors' bodies completely with oh, virgin yeah. blood to preserve the privacy of their own metal states. Mm-hmm. That is the same kind of ghost beautiful. cannot see secret things. There's a few sort of references to images of ghosts or specters kind of in descriptive language and stuff that we've read so far. Um, and I, I keep coming back uh, to Hamlet. And uh, <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you. Uh, because me too. Yeah, because I mean, the Hamlet, the play begins with this visitation from a ghost who is definitely not sated, um, mm-hmm. and, and who has some ghost. who has who ha- who has some secret <laughs> knowledge to share. Hungry, hungry ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just fill him with marbles. He'll be he'll go away. Um, yeah. I, I'm I'm wondering whether there's anything there or whether I'm reaching by imagining that there's that like is is James O an unsated ghost? Uh, not that not that we've seen James O anywhere, but like is there is there some sort of uh, hungry ghost wandering the halls of Enfield? Well, I wouldn't I think be surprised. The, yeah, and I think that the presence of James O just in the Incandenza's life, um, or lives, is indicative of an, a hungry ghost, because though he's not, though we're not seeing an actual specter, and though there, there aren't, like, poltergeists in this book as of right now, or, like, evidence thereof, um, it's very clear that James O., is haunting the incandenzas. Yeah. I agree. It's like they yeah. they think about him an awful lot for somebody for somebody who's been gone for four years. It's like he's very present all the time. And somebody who they didn't necessarily have a good relationship with. Right. Either. Yeah. 
And yeah. just the reference to secrets. There sure are a lot of secrets in this book. Everybody mm-hmm. has secrets. Secrets, secrets everywhere. Oh, I caught a podcat. <gasps> oh. Ooh, good for you. Exciting. Exciting. Oh, oh, I'm, my I'm in pa- the... Oh, no. My podcasts are <laughs> digging uh, dry kitty food out of their little food toy tube oh. thing. So they're crunching away happily. I accidentally moved my laptop and then Parachute was like, oh, oh, is your lap open? (laughs) (laughs) And so now she's here. (laughs) Now my laptop is far away. Um, There is, there's another um, sort of uh, Hamlet-ish reference here that it's just very vaguely alluded to uh, and has some troubling implications. So, oh, yeah. I bet I know what you're going to say. Uh, 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 then you should say it, because I'm trying to chase down some weird interference. Okay. Hmm. Um, so, uh, Oren's explaining that Helen's interested in learning about, about Hal, about tennis, about everything, and, uh, he asks how, for example, the stork took himself down before CT moved in upstairs at HMH or after. Right. Um, yeah. So they're talking about uh, Charles Tavis moving into the headmaster's house and establishing whether James O killed himself before or after that happened. Right. And we learned that it happened immediately before, two or three days before. Um, which when I read it this, this morning, because that's when I do my reading, uh, I immediately thought of, there's a quote in Hamlet that, uh, the, the meat that was served at the wedding was the wedding between Hamlet's mother and his uncle, uh, were leftovers from Hamlet's father's funeral. Right. It was that <laughs> recent. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and there's, and there's also after that, like in in the same paragraph, there's a reference that, uh, they're trying to determine whether dad knew that CT and Avril were very close. Where is that? Uh, same paragraph immediately before two, three days before CT had had what was, what's now Delint's room next to Stitz in Comad and dad knew they were very close. I don't know. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, I missed that. Even though it's right there. I dislike the incestuous implications there because it's literal incest if it's Avril and CT. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As opposed to Onanian incest in Hamlet. Mm -hmm. It also, at the same point, part somewhere, doesn't Oren say that... uh, James O only had eyes for Avril ever. Yeah. Yeah. Did anybody oh, else? Oh, and also, also the other interesting thing is when Oren asked if Dad knew whether Avril and CT were very close. Hal said he didn't know, but that Mario might know. Yes. Oh. Which so that's I can't... A, that's the little that's the little uh, made me think. Okay, so. 
probably Mario knows some stuff too. Like they all know mm-hmm. their that's, own that's stuff. That's true. They... I, I think that's true, but I think that's also how needling Oren for not wanting to talk to Mario. I could see that. Maybe. Mm. But I also think that Norma's onto something that Mario probably knows more than people give him credit for. Yeah, he definitely Mm -hmm. does. Uh, There's reference that uh, for a while, Oren was mailing mom's pseudo form replies. Mm -hmm. So it's like he's he's sending form letters to his mother uh, and Mm. and then eventually even quit doing that. Did anybody pick up on the uh, the reappearance of my good friend Lyle? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. The, Lyle the mystery knows more deepens too, right? with Lyle. Lyle. Lyle knows more too. They all know yeah. more than so, they're sharing. Uh, yeah, I do want to get into that that timeline. Uh, I have one other like tidbit to share from before they start kind of parsing out that timeline. Yeah. Uh, which is that we we get another taste of lateral Alice Moore. And yes. and what's going on with her? It's it's very vague. But they uh, Hal says I think Lateral Alice spends a lot of time in grocery store checkout lanes, which, if you think about it, are almost the ideal environment for her, being that she can just locomote sideways right on through. Right. Hmm. Strange. It's just strange. The other thing. The other thing that we hear is that Hal truly is a mess. I mean, as, as we, as we hear the story of James O's mm-hmm. suicide, it's understandable, but it's, it's um, like, it's, it's a defining moment in his life because when, when Oren, when Oren uh, asks him a question, he says, ask who found uh, himself, right? Yeah. And yeah. Hal says, uh, Harold James Incandenza, 13 going on really old, uh, four years, 216 days ago. Yeah. So he actually, I mean, he wasn't expecting to have this conversation with Oren, uh, but he knows exactly how long ago it was that he found his father. Mm-hmm. Which means you're really... I don't know. I, it's not something you'd get over, I guess. But the fact no. that, but yeah. counting the days, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what it means. So James O died on April first. April Fool's Day. April Let Fool's Day. And is it was it the day before that that he went somewhere and and Hal doesn't know where. He went oh. a couple days before. Uh, a couple days before. He was gone and, for two days, right? Yeah. And then he came back. Um, and and this is where also, Lyle comes in because Lyle either went with him or was gone at the, at same, the same time. At the same time, right. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have no idea what to make of that. And, and, and Hal said... That Mario doesn't know where the father went, and that Mario doesn't lie. Hmm. So right. Mario doesn't lie, so he honestly doesn't know where he went. I'm sorry, I keep jumping around to little weird things. Yeah. But uh, what about the 
Hal uses the word telemetry. Hmm. Yes. Exercise in telemetry. And Oren corrects him and says yes. telemetry, which yes. seems so idiotic because Hal would never use a wrong word. Well, he says, though, how embarrassing when the skills go, they go. Yeah. I think he meant it, though. Tamelicus. Because when you there, I I tried to find out what it might be. Yeah, I I didn't. I, I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it. There's there's uh, references to a Telemachus who was a monk uh, back in the at the height of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. a monk who tried to convert uh, Romans to uh, the Christian. God Ooh, kind of thing. This is and, interesting. And a trust in a higher power, sort of. Telemachy, a tr- trust hmm. in a higher power seemed kind of maybe. Uh, yeah, well, also, uh, Telemachus is uh, the son of Odysseus and Penelope as well. Right. Oh. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think he was being sarcastic when he said, when the skills go, they go. I think it was like, oh, come on, Oren. Oh, come on, There's a lot of, of misdirection from Hal all over For this sure. thing. And, and yeah. as we get into the, the story, particularly the story of the grief counselor, uh, which we'll talk about at some length, um, I'm curious how much of it is genuine, how much of it is like Hal lying to Oren or fabric or... or or uh, exaggerating or, like, fabricating things entirely. Um, like, certainly there are moments that feel elevated or rehearsed or uh, kind of beyond belief. I think, I think, though, that's because probably every day for the last four years, 200 and however many days, I think he goes over it all in his head. I think he's... yeah. I, mean, ta- I, I think he tells him tells the story to himself, and so it I sounds. Think there's, but there's a couple different ways you could read this conversation because the book has already uh, established that Hal likes lying to his brother over the phone. That's true, um, and and so you could read all of this detail about James O's death as being a fabrication designed to like uh, get a rise out of Oren. That's true. I hadn't really like, thought of that. Like the idea, like the idea that uh, James O's head exploded in the microwave, and the what the the police officer told Hal something, and then vomited on the kitchen floor, and right. um, like it's 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 really, um, it seems exaggerated in a lot of ways. It is kind of theatrical. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time. It was my, a horrific my, thing. It was. Yeah, and, trauma. And, and my counter evidence to the story uh, about the, the grief counselor that, that Hal tells that does in, in places seem to be beyond belief is that we know the grief counselor is a real person or at least is a real person to Hal because he's one of the people that Hal thinks about in the first chapter when he's having his fit. He thinks oh. about his mom cleaning, and he thinks about the hypophalangeal grief therapist. 
Oh. Oh, so, that's so right. I, I, I don't think that we can write that person off as like a pure invention on Hal's part. And when did moms become such a fanatic cleaner? Has she always been that way or was it after the suicide? I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we know that um, her agoraphobia uh, basically started after James O's death, right? I'm unclear on that. Me okay. Too. I think I think that it might have uh, exacerbated things, but I, mm. I don't know that she's we can say a, that. She's such a mystery to me. Yeah. Question. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Oren asks about Joelle and yeah. whether she was there. And he says, was she there? The P-goat, P-G-O-A-T. What uh, is in, that? in an earlier footnote or something, we, we learned that Oren called mean? her the prettiest girl of all time. Oh, okay. There's another odd twist to this story. So we, we learned that James O managed to microwave his head by... Uh, cutting a hole in the door of the microwave and then lining that hole with aluminum foil. Mm -hmm. um, but we also learned that there's that he's found with a bottle of wild turkey uh, with yes. a with a like a bow on it, like almost a gift bow. Yes. Um, suspicious. Which is yeah. suspicious because. Um, Joel was in touch with Oren even after they stopped speaking to each other uh, to make it clear that he had stopped drinking in January. Right. Um, so there's something either that was not true or he started drinking again or. I got the impression that he started drinking again. Well, and it said, uh, when they were talking about his behavior right before his suicide, said that he went underground for a month. Uh, NCT was doing most of the day-to-day -day administrative work at ETA. Mm -hmm. uh, and Mario would take him his food. Uh, sometimes he'd eat with Lyle. He only left for a two-day purge and detox. Right. And mom, mom risked exterior transit. She went out and took him. Uh, so Hal said he gathers that it was urgent. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. So he had just been to detox, right? Yes. So all that happened and then he disappeared for three days somewhere? Somewhere, apparently. Yeah. I don't know. It seems the the bow, the ribbon seems right. fishy seems like, to me. Yeah. Well, right, but that mean that would mean that somebody else gave him the bottle. I'm wondering if that's what happened. If that's if, if I mean, can, extending our Hamlet analogy, is that is that bottle of wild turkey the poison in the ear? Mm. I mean. Yet. I, I yes. I mean, certainly anyone who knew him and and would be in a position to give him a bottle of liquor 
would know how like ruinous that would be if he indeed had stopped drinking. Right. But perhaps he didn't. Maybe Joel only thought that he did. Well, she said, and she said that it was her her condition for letting him, Jim, put her in what he was doing. What uh, that was that he would quit drinking. Right. Well, that was that she that would was only Joelle's. let him. Joel, yes. right? Joel yeah. said, if he quit drinking, then she would let him put her in what he was doing. And she yeah. said that he said he would do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would do anything. But perhaps after he shot the footage with her, then that was the green light to start drinking again. Maybe. I don't know. I, re- I really don't think that... I get the feeling that the reason he started drinking again was because he was given the opportunity with this gift. Um, I don't think... I think it's just a, a feeling and an opinion that I don't think that he was like, oh, well, we're done with that, so I'm going to go yeah. buy myself something. I agree. I think that there's something... There's something about the there's gift There's something really bottle. sinister about that bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who put it there? Who gave it to him? Did he bring it yeah. with him, or was it sitting in the kitchen when he returned? Or was he, did he even... Conspiracy theory, did he even drink any of it? Was it placed? Was he, in fact, murdered? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, it seems the to me like alcohol that's... alcohol placed after the fact as uh, an explanation? It seems like, with, with all the allusions to Hamlet, it seems like that's what the narrative is pointing us at, right? Like, if we're following the Hamlet arc here, then he's, he's, he was killed. Well, and what's after, they say it was wild turkey. What, wild turkey? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But did they, like, was there something else in it? Could he have? Maybe. Yeah, we don't know. Some kind Mm -hmm. of, some kind of crazy drug that sent him off his, off the deep end. Some of the, some of the drugs. Some DMZ. Some DMZ, like Hal's getting ready to ingest as soon as he gets a chance. But also, could uh, you argue that um, he was killed by alcoholism? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that like, or that he was murdered by alcoholism rather than a person. Well, I think that if you if you read it as somebody who knew he was knew what condition he was in and gave him a bottle of whiskey, like. Or is it whiskey or bourbon? I don't know. Um, like knowing what they know about him, I think that you could imagine that being murder. Like maybe not. Maybe they didn't shove his head in the microwave and push start, but like well, that's right. yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, if the bow was absent, then you would say alcoholism killed him, right? But because yeah. there's this oh. bow, it's an it's entirely possible that somebody was messing around and like, oh, ho, ho, I wonder what happens when James O relapses. Yeah.
it's all very mysterious. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very sad, even if it's only partly true, the story of how being the first to discover the suicide mm-hmm. or the murder or whatever it was, the death. You know, he feels guilty that he, what does he say, that if he had, if he had won his uh, tennis match quicker, he would have been home sooner and maybe he could have interrupted what happened. Right. He says at one point. Mm-hmm. Th- that's the section that's that's in the section that's very difficult to interpret for me because he's talking about um there's these layers of of what might be deceit. Like he's talking about how he rehearsed and prepared himself to sort of pass the test imposed by this grief therapist. Right. And uh, and he's also telling Oren about this in a way that seems, at the very least, like the drama has been heightened a little bit. But that, to me, goes along with somebody who's gone over and over and over and over it in their head for four years and 200-some days. Right. That, and, and, that the and so he, story gets, you know, it gets, it's a little, it's a little embellished, or maybe a lot embellished by that point, even though the basis is is truth yeah like um, i believe that he found that he was the one that found his father right i do believe mm-hmm. that yes mm-hmm. and and he his first thought was to go get somebody right go get an adult well his first thought was something was smells delicious oh, or yes or he That's claims he that was it. his first thought i bet it's mm-hmm. true yeah, I, I, I mean, thought I thought when he said that that was the most true thing he said. Yeah. If yeah. indeed, if indeed, you really can microwave your head. Right. Which are I'm we still also, not totally convinced, but are we also sure that that wasn't that that line wasn't just a an act for the grief counselor? That's because the we question. know that he was putting on. He was trying to give the grief counselor the goods. Yes. I, don't, I think that was made. I don't think he told the grief counselor that. He did. Well, well, he says uh, that he told the grief counselor that. Uh, does he say so, that? Yeah. He does, yeah. And I took it to be that he said the grief counselor that under the guise that he was just, um, you know, telling the grief counselor what the what he wanted. Like, like manufacturing this believe. kind of cliched moment of catharsis. Right, but I do believe that it's a true moment. And yes. I think that in uh, ma- trying to manufacture it, Hal accidentally discovered a truth. <laughs> yeah, ac- accidentally did the thing he was just trying to pretend to do. Well, right. it's kind of like Hamlet pretending to be mad and the truth that comes out of yeah. those moments. Mm-hmm. Oh. Such as his own rumin- ruminations about life and death. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Uh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got it. <laughs> um, I, think, I think there's something there. I think when I read it, I thought uh, that the grief counseling, I, I thought that all sounded so real. Uh, that here's this 13-year-old kid 
who went through this extreme trauma, and his mother uh, does what a mother would do, which would be to get him to see, uh, get get him counseling, right? With a with because, uh, I I must say somewhat off putting speed. Uh, hmm. he, well, he d- I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that it's I, I don't think that it's uh, particularly damning, but it, and it probably just speaks to Avril's character. She's very but organized. He does say she that turns it turns out Rusk and the moms had been had begun interviewing top flight trauma and grief counselors for me within hours after it happened. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised because. Uh, so James O. James O. is yeah. dead, but. But your kid is a whole other thing, and that's true. And you would feel, you would feel, a lot of I think guilt and horror that your thirteen-year-old was the one that had to walk into this mess mm-hmm. and deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. And she probably needed to go to the counselor to manage that, but she won't do that. So, in, so the thing that she can do is immediately arrange for somebody to talk to Hal. Because she knows Hal's mm-hmm. not going to talk about it. Hal is never yeah. going to talk about it to her. So that, that I mean, it's, she's, she's a little crazy, and, and doing it that quickly, uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy. But it's, it kind of fits with my, with my yeah. picture I do, of I mean, her. I do also suspect that... Well, so if this is Hamlet, then she had a hand in his death, and that's a whole other kettle of fish. Right. But which right? You don't right. you don't think that Gertrude had a ham, hand in her husband's death? No, because Gertrude is an idiot. Oh, I I have to I have to reread Hamlet, but I've never I've never thought of. I'm gonna have to read Hamlet. She has so never simple. heard that interpretation before. Hmm. That she's simple or that she had a hand in it? Uh, that she had a hand in, uh, um, uh, in the well, death. Aha. Anyway. Anyway, um, I don't trust Avril. I don't trust that James the, actually killed himself completely. The, 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 thing, that, the thing that I wanted to say is <laughs> that if, killed if she is indeed, <laughs> if her conscience is clear here, if she didn't cause this in some way, uh, I could imagine that given his state and his health issues and his struggles over the preceding years that she's known him, probably she's been preparing for something like this, like emotionally right. preparing herself right. for this to happen and and maybe thinking about the, the toll that that might take on her children. Right. Yeah, I could see that. And, and, and so like springing into action in that way. And they are quite driven where their kids come in, yeah. you know, yeah. they're, she... They're driven to, in the sports world and the academics and everything, they really drive their kids. So I could see her wanting, her, her, and and they have such a warped notion of what, like, good parenting looks like, that Mm -hmm. I could see her thinking that immediately finding help for Hal was the good parenting, was good parent, was showing that she... Right. Knows how to parent, even though she clearly struggles. Right. The whole family struggles. Mm-hmm. But, and then Hal's response to the counseling sounded so true, too. Yes. Yeah. The whole thing sounded so like 
you know, resisting and not wanting to talk and and and, and approaching and it as a exercise like, of as approaching it as like a test to be passed and right. like the mm-hmm. uh, right. his his desire to deliver the goods feels right. so much like the way he approaches his reasons for playing tennis and his reasons for for excelling academically. Right. We also uh, need to consider that it's entirely possible that himself had previous suicide attempts, if not yeah. ideation. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's it's very, very, very plausible that Avril, being the organized human being that she was um, or is, mm-hmm. uh, she she would be preparing for this. She may have had a list. She may yeah. have had like a, a list. Okay, if this happens, then here's what we need to do. Pretty much, Get on yeah. It. Um, um, but I agree that Hal definitely approaches everything pretty methodically, and I think that he takes after his mom in that respect. Right. And he's also, I don't know, a consummate millennial. He wants to please his parents. He wants to make them proud. He wants right. that... The uh, participation award, mm-hmm. but even more so, mm-hmm. he gets a lot of his validation from grades and exterior support. Right. And he mm-hmm. says, in fact, he says, so, so he's, you know, he's upset that the grief counselor isn't fooled by the stuff he says, like, oh, I really don't feel anything and stop trying to tell me that I feel something because really I don't feel anything. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it says that Hal, Hal was really panic-stricken, uh, either because of the trauma itself or because uh, he said, here was a top-rank authority figure, and I was failing to supply what he wanted. He, mm-hmm. made, he made it manifestly clear I wasn't delivering the goods, and I'd never failed to deliver the goods before. It's that, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm not telling him what he wants me to tell him. And, I mean, I got the sense that he really honestly didn't know what to tell him. It wasn't that he was hiding it. He, he had no idea what he felt. And he mm-hmm. had no, he, he believed himself when he said, I don't feel anything. Um, yeah. And so then he's, then he's bewildered. Like, why is this, is this guy ever going to give up? Because because I'm being honest and it's not good enough for him and I'm going to have to come here every day for the rest of my life because I don't know what he wants. Right. Uh, it's, this is a little anecdotal thing, but I really, I really felt for Hal uh, when, he, when he talked about that, about that he'd never failed to deliver the goods before. You know, he's a good student. He's, he's a good kid. He tries to do what he's asked to do, right? And... Um, it made me. It was a flashback to my to my ten year old self. Uh, you know, I was the, the good little kid at school, and I did what the the teachers wanted me to do, and listened to my parents. And I was an obedient child, and and we had vision testing, and it was a no. with the stupid with the stupid uh, eye chart with the letter E on it mm-hmm. that they tipped in different directions. Yeah. yeah. And you were supposed to hold up your fingers to show which way the E was pointing, right? Like they right. turn it on its side or to the down. So, and, and my vision was so bad that I couldn't see the E's. 
And so when they were asking me to show which way the E was pointing, those directions made absolutely no sense to me. Because for one thing, I couldn't see the E. And when they talked about an E pointing somewhere, I, I was like, I just didn't understand. And so, of course, you know, I failed miserably and went home and my mother had gotten a call from the from the nurse saying that I had failed. I had failed the vision exam. Mm -hmm. And I remember being Ooh. like, I remember being like mortified and like kind of terrified. And I remember telling my mother that I just didn't understand the directions, <laughs> but I didn't understand what they wanted me to do. <laughs> I know that's a very trite a comparison, but I, but I really get that, that he just, yeah. he, like he wanted to please the grief therapist. He wanted to tell him the stuff that he was supposed to be telling him, but he had, he had no clue. And then when he got on the, then he started reading the, the books by grief counselors mm -hmm. so he could find out what mm -hmm. they were supposed to be digging for. <laughs> and then I think the things that he told the grief counselor were probably actually true. It was like, yeah, like he needs, he needed really clear directions about how to, how to. The, so the it. only, the only hole in this story, in this yes. whole thing, because I, I agree that I think most of it probably is true, but he does talk about going to Lyle for help and yeah. Lyle giving him this really direct advice. And Oren says, Lyle said all that. That doesn't sound like Lyle. The Lyle my class knew wasn't a how to deliver the goods to authorities type figure. And True. he never really addresses that mm. that uh, concern mm -hmm. from Warren. True. Right. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what to make of that. I I interpreted that exchange as a um, the master appears when the student is ready mm. <laughs> type of situation. So Lyle becomes easily comprehensible when the student is ready. <laughs> Yeah, I can. And so it's it's more like how is paraphrasing what he thought Lyle was saying mm -hmm. rather than necessarily Lyle saying those specific things. How when he gets done and the grief therapist is like sat, obviously satisfied that finally they're getting somewhere. And I think it says that Hal went down the hall and like went like laughed. He laughed mm -hmm. and laughed because he felt like he had. Uh, like he had tricked, like he had, he had tricked him, well, right? I thought it was but because really, of his right. hands. And, and the hands, the thing with the hands. The hands, right. Which is an, it's an unusual detail to this story. And it's one of the things that makes me believe it more because it seems like there would be no reason to invent that detail if this story is all an invention. Um, but it is a really, it's a really startling image. Mm-hmm. Which it, it all just feeds into this this thing that we, we see so much of in this book, which is people with like physical disabilities and uh, like birth defects and and unusual like unusual body stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, even we don't really know what's going on with lateral Alice Moore, but it sounds like right. maybe she's in similar circumstances. It's an unusual thread that runs through these kind of anecdotal descriptions but right. it does also make me wonder like if if it is more common in this 
were like contemporary Onan era world for people to have like visible physical disabilities and 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 bodies that don't conform to the sort of normative body standards that that we have um don't you think it would be like less of a shock to see that like like would wouldn't the, wouldn't mm. the commonness of such like disabilities make them less startling yeah that's true That's true. It wouldn't be a surprise. It wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And, and yet so how goes to, to great pains to talk about like how horrifying and grotesque and alarming his grief therapist's hands are. Right. I mean, I think it relates it. I keep thinking back to the, the thing about the giant feral toddler in the, right. uh, the exclusion zone or the, the concavity um that it seems like there's a suggestion that like is it is it pollution that's causing these things to happen or it feels some, sometimes something it to feels do like with some the, kind of mutations the, caused by like a consequence of annular fusion or i don't something. know yeah that something in the environment environmentally yeah. caused mutations somehow i do have a just a tiny little little heart that I put in my on page two fifty seven. I bet I know what it is. I bet you do. Oh. Uh, the magic feelings back. I'm not lining up the vectors for the waste basket basket or anything. I'm not even thinking. I'm trusting the feeling. It's like that celluloid moment when Luke removes his high tech targeting helmet. <laughs> This is a flat-out reference to Star Wars, and I was so surprised to see it that I put a heart Mm -hmm. in the margin, and it made me very happy. It it is weird because, of course, Star Wars like Star Wars exists in the world of this book, but it seems like so totally different from the film that we've learned about in the story and and anything else going on that I kind of forget that, like pop culture that we know about also exists here in this story. Mm -hmm. Was that the thing that you thought I was going to say, Norma? No, no. What did you think? Now now that you say that I did, I did note that somewhere too. And it did. I expected you to find it. No, it was just a quote. uh, Let's see. Jumped in, jumped in a cab with a towel on the nearest library. With a cutting yes. edge professional grief and trauma section and step on it. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, thought that, I thought Brianna wrote that. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, well, he even he even alludes to that same that same thing else? in the in the Earlier? first chapter. He says, "I'm yes. the kind of person who go, gets in a taxi and says yeah. the library and step on it." Yes, yes, because yeah. Brianna pointed that out then in that first chapter. That's where. Yeah. That's probably why that's I my connected favorite. it to her. I also just wanted to just note that in this section, a large part of the reason why Oren is speaking to Hal, or so it appears, is that Oren is trying to gather enough information so that he can manufacture this grief-stricken Mien over himself's death, so that when he does meet with Helen steeply, he can be like, oh... It was so sad. My brother found him. Blah, yes. blah, blah. 
It's like it's like he said, I think, early when he at the beginning of the call when he was talking about steeply that he thinks he's prying into family, you know, they he wants to know stuff about the family and and he realized Oren realized that he can't lie to him uh, and mislead him, her. He can't lie mm-hmm. to her and mislead her if he doesn't know what actually happened because mm-hmm. he can't avoid he can't avoid telling the truth if he doesn't know what actually happened. Right. There is a so just backtracking a little bit. There's another detail in here that's uh, uh, that Oren. It's implied in a couple places that Oren is uh, not particularly attracted to Helen, but he kind of has a thing for women who are mothers of small children. Uh-huh, right. Right. Uh, that's strange. That's an odd thing. He also, mm-hmm. remember originally he said in the, in the other phone call that he didn't actually, he didn't actually talk to Hal that time, except yeah. a few lines was, he said, I met someone. I'm right. still wondering, who is he referring yeah, who is to? That, is he referring is to, that, to the woman at Helen? the trailer, or was it Helen, or, or was it... Yeah. We don't Ooh, know. We don't know. We are now at the uh, the tennis meet at Port Washington Tennis Academy. Yeah, right. and this is the Whataburger tournament, isn't it? Is no, it? I don't think so. No, it's like the lead up. It's, a, it's like the qualifier because Pemulus has to Pemulus has to win his match if he's if he is going to qualify for the Whataburger. Right, so that he can travel okay. to Arizona with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and also in this right. like, uh, connection to real world, there's a there's a reference to Lendl, the tennis player. Oh, I missed that. Oh, yeah, I missed Yvonne, that too. Right, Yvonne Lendl. Yeah. But in, in here, it seems that they say he committed suicide. He quit the game oh. and then committed suicide, but that's not true. A, a, che- a sepulchral up. Czech kid named Lendl. Maybe he was uh, Czech. No, he was Czech. When Lendl. when when was he prominent? Uh, it was it 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 would have been nineties, <clears throat> uh, I think, because I've seen a match of Lendl versus Augustine. Yeah, he I was a famous. He was a famous uh, Czech tennis player. Huh. Yeah. Uh, he was world number world number one for 270 weeks. Won 94 singles wow. titles, all the majors. Let's see, he. And, uh, oh, that is so strange. Yeah. yeah. It looks like he is still alive, and he is. Uh, he was one of the coaches of Andy Murray. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's a really. But he odd... did not kill himself. That's no, he really did not. odd. So, like, that's one of the places where history diverges from yes. our own history. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was very strange. Huh. See, yeah, I have, I have no idea what to make of that. I wonder how old he... Uh, born March 7th, 1960. So he he turned pro when he was 18. At the beginning of the chapter here, that we also get some more uh, background on John Wayne. Yes, that was mm-hmm. also very... Who's, uh, that was also a question mark. Yeah. 
So it sounds like th- there's a couple things that I find really interesting about this. One is that he's had his Quebecois citizenship revoked. Um, uh, and, right. and had his, has the Canadian Tennis Association has disowned him as an immigrant. And that also uh, we're kind of unclear as to how John Wayne feels about this, right? Yeah, I mean he's all he's written as being very stoic, and and even <laughs> in our limited interactions with him, like he doesn't move in the same social circles as Hal, and so we don't see a lot of him. Uh, but he seems like not particularly uh, open. Yeah. Well, and so I was confused. So. When did, let's see, so they say that, that, so James O. discovered him when he was six. Yeah. They say he discovered him when he was six, uh, and, and James O. was working on his film, Homo Duplex. Mm-hmm. Uh, interviews with 14 Americans named John Wayne, but he wouldn't have been American then. He lived in Canada. Right. So why would he that have is, found him? I, so I mean, why... Presumably, just in his research, he might have discovered huh. him. But that isn't that is odd. Yeah, that's that was another yeah, odd um, thing. I mean, he's North American, so yeah. There's that a little there's a little background here. His father is an asbestos miner. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know you mined asbestos. You you do indeed, and I would imagine it's very bad for your health. Not bad. Um, Sounds awful. I have a little detour here, if people are willing to put up with it for a couple minutes. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's go. Away. So uh, mentions that John Wayne uh, was originally from Montserrat, Quebec, uh, an asbestos mining town 10 clicks or so from the infamously rupture-prone Mercier Dam. Uh, so Mercier Dam is a real dam uh, on the Bas- uh, Baskatong River built in 1927, uh, but I couldn't find any reference to it ever rupturing. Hmm. Um, and uh, Montserf, Quebec, is a real place, too. Uh, it's actually two small townships that are referred to collectively as Montserf Lytton. Um, it's so small and unremarkable that its entire Wikipedia article fits on a single screen without scrolling and includes oh. a single entry under popular culture that it's mentioned in Infinite Jest. Um, oh. <laughs> so Lytton, Quebec, is named for Lord Edward Bulwer-Lytton, uh, an English Secretary of State for the Colonies under Queen Victoria. He was also an avid writer and a coiner of many cliches, uh, including The Great mm. Unwashed, Pursuit of the Almighty Dollar, and The Pen is Mightier Than the Sword, huh. uh, as well mm-hmm. as the opening phrase, It was a dark and stormy night. Um, uh, history has not been kind to his writing, and his, his prose is considered uh, extremely purple. Um, and, and that leads me to his other namesake, the Bulwer-Lytton Fiction Contest, founded in 1982, which seeks the opening sentence of the worst of all possible <gasps> novels. Oh my gosh, uh, I've heard oh. that. So, oh. con- so contestants submit the first sentences from hypothetical books and compete to write the purplest prose. Uh, and I'd like you to present, I'd like to present you with last year's winner. Uh, this was by Maxwell Archer of Mount Pleasant, Ontario. 
Space Fleet Commander Brad Brad sat in silence, surrounded by a slowly dissipating cloud of smoke, maintaining the same forlorn frown that had been fixed upon his face since he'd accidentally destroyed the phenomenon known as time 13 inches ago. <laughs> um, and th there's also a parallel contest called the Little Litten Contest, which challenges contestants to keep their submissions to 200 characters or less. Um, which is a lot of fun to read through. I'm particularly fond of this anonymous honorable mention from last year. Light flowed mm. like butter into the morning window pane. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's uh, that's Edward Bulwer-Lytton, Lytton, Lytton, Quebec, neighbor to uh, huh. John Wayne's hometown of uh, Montserf, Quebec. Huh. Okay. So that's we we get that stuff with John Wayne, and we kind of we get a little description of how he plays. His his play style is described as like beautifully mechanical, kind of. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and he's he's just walloping this uh, number one player from the Port Washington Tennis Academy. Right. We um, also get we also get description of more descriptions of Hal's play. Yes. That he's got yeah. a killer serve and that, that uh, you know, that he's oh. had this sudden, he's had this sudden surge in mm -hmm. his tennis game and that, that Stitz calls uh, Hal his revenant, yes. his revenant now, which yeah. is a person who's returned from the dead. Yeah, and Hal's play style seems very, thing. yeah. Uh, they describe it as being strategic like, too. Yeah, cerebral. Right. He just or wears them down. He wears. Right, yeah. He just wears them down by. Yeah, he wears them down until he can basically. He wears them down and he finds kind of the exact pinpoint that he can um, exploit. Basically, um, mm -hmm. the you know whether it's like their forehand, their backhand, uh, whether they don't like a certain type of spin or something like that. So. Right. Yeah. And in general, I was wondering how all of you found this um, section of the book, because I found it pretty interesting uh, hearing about how everybody played and everything. But I am a former tennis player. <laughs> I was going to say there's a line early in this chapter where it says uh, explaining we was talking about the rankings, actually, but mm -hmm, explaining mm -hmm. rankings. uh all tends to get complicated and probably not that interesting unless you play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, pro and and I would say that's true of the like the description of their games too, and and the play style and everything. Yeah, because I don't know um, tennis that well. I found it pretty fascinating. Like the the description of the way the the seeding works didn't really appeal to me, but. Uh, like the descriptions of different types of play, I I was I was uh, really intrigued by. Um, if only because when I watch tennis, I just see people running around and whacking balls back and forth, and I don't I don't know enough about it to see the strategy. So it it kind of opens my mm -hmm. eyes to be able to to read about it described by someone who knows what they're watching. Reading it also, you know, you talked about about uh talked about like mutations and weird body body issues and that keep popping up and in a way the the tennis playing styles of their of their good players are also re seem so odd like mm -hmm. they all each one has 
really odd things. Like not, I don't know. It's not like what I think of as a great tennis player, you know, they're, that they're, the style of game they play. They're just yeah. kind of weird. They, they win their games through their weird styles of play and not so much just good, solid tennis. To me, mm-hmm. that's how it seems. But I don't know the game, so I, maybe, maybe it's true that everybody has, you know, their own... This reminds me of um, an essay by David Foster Wallace from 2006 uh, that you can actually read online. I'm going to post a link to it here. Um, that's, I read it because I believe it's published in Consider the Lobster. It's called um, uh, Roger Federer as Religious Experience. Uh, and it's David Foster Wallace writing about Roger huh. Federer's career and play uh-huh. style, uh, in, huh. using kind of similar Ooh. language to this. Oh, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting counterpoint to this because it's nonfiction. Um, and so like seeing, seeing him describe fictional play styles and then, and then actual play styles, right. I, I found kind of illuminating. They, they spend so much time talking about the equipment and the apparel and everything and the, and the uh, advertising. Oh, yeah, the, the whole, like, the, the, yeah. the free gear and how that right. whole economy works. There's a strange reference. Uh, so, Pemulus, you know, they're coming through the tunnel, right? And mm-hmm. they say Mario, Mario is there. He's filming. Mm-hmm. Or they're talking, trying to figure out lighting in the tunnel, like it's difficult. And it makes this weird uh, reference. It says, uh, so talking about, basically talking about lighting challenges, right? Then it says, Mm -hmm. after after Pemulus has mysteriously won, he will tell Mario about a Merino 350 with a diffusion filter on some kind of overhead cable, blah, 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 blah. What does that mean, though? After he has mysteriously won, he will tell Mario. Hmm. That's very mysterious. I assume that it's a... Pemulus is going to be as surprised as everybody else if he wins. I don't know. It makes it sound like... I mean, they're saying that he is going to win. He's going to win his match. Mysteriously. Mysterious. I, I mean... Yeah, I don't know how to take it's that. I wouldn't, saying, I wouldn't put it past Pemulus. To cheat somehow? Right. Since he needs, the, since he needs, he feels like he needs this like, so badly. And he's got, he's got money. Did he pay off his opponent to throw the, throw the match? Did he make it worth his Oh my gosh. Time? It's, it could trade, be. I don't know. Trade drugs Does, or something for. So, so I uh, found, I found the thing I was looking for that, uh, if you're if you get your rackets supplied by uh, a brand, then you have to let them spray paint their logo on the strings. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Pemulus, um, Pemulus isn't on Dunlop's free list, but gets the ETA stringer to put Dunlop's dot and circumflex trademark anyway. well, on right. all the stick strings as a kind of touchingly insecure gesture, in Shaq's opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, because apparently he was constantly reporting mysterious breakages and damages uh, to his rackets, and then the rep found them for sale on a variety of street corners. Oh, uh, <laughs> which also feels like a very 
pemulous yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it would make sense that he would pay off his opponent to win this match. Because as you said, the stakes are high. He has to win. He has to go to Arizona, it seems. Hmm. Doesn't it seem that yeah, he has I mean, to? I mean, that's not... If, if, if that's it, where they're going to do the DMZ, then he needs to be there. Or they need to find yeah. a different way to do that. One question I had uh, for Andrew, but everyone can answer. Uh, so in this same section here on 265 uh, that we just read through, Mario is described as using film uh, in his camera. So I was oh, wondering if um, this film is just style or if it, that's because that's all there is. So the Merino 350 with a diffusion filter on some kind of overhead cable you could use to winch along behind the figures at about twice the focal length or else use fast film and station the Merino at the tunnel's very start and let the figures' backs gradually recede into a kind of doomed mist of low exposure. Um, so yeah, I took it to mean that either yeah. Mario's using film for style or that... This is another thing that, you know, David Foster Wallace just couldn't really think of things being <laughs> filmed, so not being digital. used. Right. right. Yeah, I, I mean, it is it is really strange because abs like if we were writing this book today, absolutely Mario would be shooting like high definition digital cinema. Um, right. And I, I think I swear that I remember there being more detail at some point about how his Bolex is set up and how it works. Um Okay, but I I think that film here might be a metaphor for the for like setting the digital gain as ISO on a a sensor. Um, okay, because I, I I believe I my concept of Mario's Bolex is that it's not a film camera, uh, but but perhaps I'm wrong about that. But there's it, there's it seems like there's uh, suspiciously little mention of like chemistry. In down down in the lab in the workshop, like you would assume that if Mario is shooting a lot of film, that he would constantly be up to his elbows in developer, and and, and mm -hmm. that there would be description of that. I also don't know if a Merino light fixture is a thing. It's not a brand that I've heard of before. Yeah, I haven't heard it either. Sounds like pretty good lighting advice, though. That that's that's a a plausible solution to the problem that Mario is talking about. They also say that Shaft is tight with Mario and Lyle, so there's another friend of Mario's. Yeah, yeah. Shaft wants to be a dentist. He's yeah, we get a lot a more about yeah. Shaft here. Yeah, he's planning to be a a dentist, and that they say his game has improved a lot since he stopped really caring. Yeah, uh, it's, it's sort of tragic mm -hmm. because they say so he he injured his knee, I think, is what uh -huh. kind of caused his his him to to stop obsessing over his game. And right. his game has improved a lot since then. But everyone else around him has been improving faster. faster. And so he's still fallen right. in, the rating, <laughs> in the rankings. Right. Um, there's something sort of sad about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, I do. And are we and, and reading it as Shaq? Or shot, because I've been reading shot. it as shot. Shocked. I have no shot. I have no idea. Oh, shot. I read yeah. it as yeah. shot. Like a as shot. Shat. Like a tennis shot. Right, yeah. Oh. I like that. Okay, I mean, I, yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's standardize on that. Shot. I like shot. shot. Okay. I do All too. Right. Uh, like and yacht, shtit. but with an SH at the yeah. beginning. Oh, right, right, right. Right. And, and Stitt says that... Uh, 
to win enough to be considered successful, you need to care a lot and not care at all. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and they they point out that that shot and how are kind of on opposite ends of this, this, uh, equation like shot probably doesn't care enough and hal probably cares too much how they say hal who cares too much and and more than he admits yeah <laughs> yeah i i i found myself really liking shot brianna and i were talking about this a little before the the podcast that um he seems much more well adjusted than his friends yeah, yeah. He does, in this yeah. he does. Um, and I mean, there's even that really kind of lovely, tender moment where he's comforting Pemulus while he's throwing right. up. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. And someone uh, describes him as, as he has an air of something other than failure about his not caring. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's not like, I'm doing poorly, so I'm going to say that I don't care. It's more like, mm-hmm. well, I really don't care. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I'll play. I don't I don't care that much about what happens. Mhm. And and he has he has insights into his buddies. Like he thinks that Pemulus always gets sick, violently sick before the matches, not because of nerves, but because because he he uh stops taking drugs. Before yeah. a match, so so that yeah. he won't test. Right, they have to do testing, or they might. Well, I think I, I think it's just that his, it's that's his, just a, his thing that he's yeah. that mm-hmm. he's going to be clean when he goes into his match, and so he's he's in withdrawal, and that's why he's puking, not because he's right. nervous. And then right. Shot also has noted uh, that Hal's using uh, uh, increased substance abuse. And he, it's his theory that that's what's led to his improved play. Yeah, but that it's, mm-hmm. he thinks it's got to be a temporary thing. That right. Like there's and a psychic there's, credit card bill for right, Hal right, in the right. mail somewhere coming and is oh. sad for him in advance about whether, whatever is surely got to give eventually. Now there was the big, there was the big quote of the whole uh, chunk of reading because that yeah. seems, <laughs> that sounds uh, ominously predictive of, of where all of this is going for Hal. I feel like yeah. this yeah. about Hal. Yeah. A psychic credit card bill is in the mail. I The other thing that they describe one of these lopsided matches, I guess it must be Hal and John Wayne playing their matches, and they say something like the crowd and the, and the coaches and everyone, and they've gone really quiet. Oh, they've uh, stopped it be- applauding. It becomes, it becomes like Romans applauding the Lions. Yeah. <laughs> be like romans applauding the lions yeah <laughs> if they were applauding now because they're just being crushed also these um, guys these guys you know in some ways they they all seem like such strange kind of individuals with 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 i don't know uh but but yet they're such teenagers you yeah. know, they're such mm-hmm. typical teenagers. That whole that whole thing that Stitt said about uh, to win enough to be considered successful, you need to care a lot and you need to not care at all. I just think that's such a a teenage kind of thing. Like you wanna you wanna be able to project that you really care deeply about things, but also that you don't care about anything. Mm-hmm. 
It's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. It's kind of a teenage life. Uh, I don't know, teenage existence in a way. Um, does anyone have anything they'd like to announce or plug? Um, as always, if you want to check me out on Instagram and my paintings, I am at CardboardVV. I'm still at BriannaKratz.com. That's where the timeline is. It'll be in the show notes. There are lots of spoilers. Um, I turned 30 in nine days. And if we can... I don't know. Welcome. Be on a good uh, um, path towards racial equity and justice for my birthday. That'd be great. That would be nice. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good gift. Yeah. But um, not holding my breath because it's dependent <laughs> on a whole lot of people. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Minneapolis City Council is dissolving the Minneapolis Police Department. Are they actually going to do yeah. it? They're actually going to do it. They, I, I, the, the legislation is not passed yet, but they have commitments from pretty much everyone on the city council to make that happen. Okay. There, are some, there, there really are some amazing things happen happening mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my message is go out and do at least one small thing to change the world. If you can figure out what that could be, do it. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. website is, is uh, agingrich.com. You can go there and watch a uh, portfolio of my freelance work, including the uh, uh, promotional video that I made for a motorcycle power sports program at a community college in Iowa. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about pages 270 to 283. Our music is by David Nichols. You can listen to his podcast, The Land of Random, on Spotify. Thanks for listening. The next sound you hear will be unpleasant. Goodbye. I have to say, this time, this time, I, it was hard for me to stop reading. Isn't that a nice Mm. milestone? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, speaking of milestones, uh, we are about a quarter of the way through the book. Wow. Yeah. It is about time. (laughs) 